so funny. More of you brave the rain as it starts to stop. I was impressed with all the people in first service because it was like, you know, it's supposed to rain like four inches like in the next two days now. Like this afternoon, we, the, the model shows it like yellow and red. I guess red's like angry or something because it's supposed to really come down. You don't care. But, <laughs> but I, I love the rain. This building does not. But I think it's, there's buckets upstairs. We've got new holes. We didn't know holes were before. Sitting there this morning, I was talking to somebody in the back, so boop, I'm all. <laughs> Yay, go Element. It's wonderful. Hey, welcome to Element. If you're new, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables. If you have a smartphone, get this app called Uversion. Click on Live by GPS. It'll bring us up. And what you can do there is you'll get all the sermon notes and the questions and the verses. When I say flip to this, you'll be like, whoop, you'll be right there. It'll be amazing. People think you know how to find books in your Bible. You'll just, it'll be awesome. All right, why don't you guys stand with me, reading God's Word. It's like, what? No funky announcements? That's right. This is James 5.16, which we'll cover about three times this morning. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we as your people ask that we would be those who live in the healing that you have provided, that we would walk in the ways that you call us to so that we then can offer that healing to those around us. We ask that you would take us in the midst of this community called Element and make us a people who are full of life and healing. Amen. Have a seat. So we are going through the book of Lamentations. This is the most depressing book of the Bible, to which we tell you you're welcome. And when I say we're taking a look at it, because over the next few weeks, we're not going to cover every verse in all the next chapter. We'll cover all the chapters, but not every verse in every chapter, because we want to give you the opportunity to read through some of the verses. As a matter of fact, I was talking to one of the guys in my small group this week, and he goes, he goes, hey, this is in chapter 2. How are you going to deal with this? And I go, I'm not. We're just going to deal with the first 13 verses in chapter 2, and people get to read that, and then start coming up with the missing words and figuring stuff out for themselves, because we want you to do the hard work. Of students. Uh, Lamentations was written by the prophet Jeremiah. It consists of five laments. And also something funny, I was talking to a new guy and he thought every time I said lament last week, he thought I said element. And so he's like, this doesn't make any sense. How are we supposed to element? And it was funny. Anyway, so uh, five laments, uh, five chapters. The third, all but the third, is based on the destruction of Jerusalem in 587 B.C. And the third is then based out of what happens because of that and their feelings because of that. Now, most modern readers, when we come to the book of Lamentations, they don't understand it because it is very visceral. It is very raw. We are people who like to deny or suppress our, angry, our anguish. But the prophet here just spews it out. He just lets it fly. It is, it is really hard for us to realize why he is lamenting unless you understand the destruction of Jerusalem that took place. I mean, Jerusalem is the center of worship for these people. The destruction of Jerusalem was so complete at this point. When, when Nehemiah comes back to try to rebuild the city, they found it impossible to rebuild it where it was before. Uh, today, the, the old city of Jerusalem actually lies outside the current city walls. When the Chaldeans and the Babylonians came in and they destroyed it, it was to such an extent that they could not rebuild it as it was. They actually started up higher on the slope. What this really means is that when these people returned from exile, that the whole new beginning was needed. And Lamentations becomes, in a sense, a funeral dirge over an irrevocable past. So we're going to go through a lot of verses this morning. Hopefully you're going to learn a lot. So if you have a Bible, open to Lamentations chapter 2. 
There's a story told among ancient rabbis that when the God of heaven and earth desired to communicate to the Gentiles, what he did is he commissioned a work of 70 scribes to take 70 days and translate the Tanakh, the Old Testament Hebrew Scriptures, into Greek. And it is said that they did this by God's grace flawlessly. This translation is known as the Septuagint. If you ever look at something that has the letters LXX, that actually means the Septuagint. And now, since this is an element where we believe the men are strong and the women are good-looking and the kids are all above average, I, you guys are slow on the uptake this morning, I thought I would give you a section of the Septuagint to memorize. All right? Ready? All right, so here we go. Here's the first line. Read it. Yeah, okay, I'll say it, then you repeat it after me. We'll get it. Ready? This is Hade Tismegalumtha. Hade tis megalumtha. Here's the next line. Potirion sun trebesu. Okay. I don't know. You guys got more sleep. First service was way more on the ball than this. All right? Potirion sun trebesu. And here's the last one. And this is tis iasete se. Okay, so this is Hade Tis Megalumtha. Potirion Sun Trebesu. Tis Iasete say. Yeah, what did I just say? You didn't say give me a hamburger and fries. What you said was, How great is the cup of your suffering? Who can heal us or who can heal you? In Lamentations chapter 2, verse 13, this is the verse. It says, Your wound is as deep as the sea. Who can heal you? In the ESV, it says, For your ruin is as vast as the sea. Who can heal you? But the Septuagint regards it as, How great is the cup of your suffering or your destruction? Who can heal us or who can heal you? Now, who was here last week? Okay, good. You guys came back. I'm very impressed with that. Chapter 1 is letting anger and frustration and loss all be known. Everything in chapter 2, though, is unrelenting pain. Chapter 2, verse 1. How the Lord has covered, this is the word humiliated, the daughter of Zion with the cloud of his anger. He has hurled down the splendor of Israel from heaven to earth. He has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. Verse 2. Without pity, the Lord has swallowed up all the dwellings of Jacob. Verse 3. In fierce anger, he has cut off every horn of Israel. He has withdrawn his right hand at the approach of the enemy. He has burned in Jacob like a flaming fire that consumes everything around it. Verse 4. Like an enemy, he has strung his bow. Verse 5. The Lord is like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. Verse 6, He has laid waste to His dwelling like a garden. Verse 7, The Lord has rejected His altar and abandoned His sanctuary. Verse 8, The Lord determined to tear down the wall around daughter Zion. Verse 9, Her gates have sunk into the ground. Their bars He has broken and destroyed. Verse 10, The elders of the daughter of Zion sit on the ground in silence. They have sprinkled dust on their heads and put on sackcloth. The young women of Jerusalem have bowed their heads to the ground. Verse 11, My eyes fell from weeping. I am in torment within. My heart is poured out on the ground because my people are destroyed. Verse 12, they faint like wounded men in the streets of the city as their lives ebb away in their mother's arms. And verse 13 is hade tis megalumtha potirion sun trebesu tis iasete say. It builds to this point and that's the cry from the bottom of their lungs. Who can heal us? And that question must be answered because that question is still asked today. 
You have a young corporate CEO. Seems like he has everything in the world he wants, but he stares blankly into his laptop as he anonymously watches pornographic images display across his screen. And yet he feels self-loathing because he knows he was created for more. And no matter what the radio or movie or TV shows tell him that, oh, pornography is normal, he knows deep in his soul it is not right. And he is addicted, and a cloud hangs over his soul, and he sits there and thinks, tis iasete say, who can heal me? you got a single mother of three. She falls exhausted into bed every single night. It seems none of her kids listen to her or respect the words that she says. The father's gone or the father is disinterested all the time. So she counts the hours till she has to get up the very next day and do it all over again. And she asks in her heart, Tis iasete say, who can heal me? We turn off the TV and the radio because it all sounds the same. We're so advanced and the world's falling apart you got tsunamis and radiation and earthquakes, economic woe, injustice throughout the world. And we simply sit and ask, Tis, Iasete, say, who can heal us? That is the question that is asked in Lamentations, and that is the one that must be answered. Now, I can give you the most basic answer in the world. I can say, Jesus, have a good week. Let's go. You know, and we could just be done like that. But I want to flush this out deeper with you. So if you have your Bible, open to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. I'm going to walk through some stuff and see if we can't see how this all goes together. Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 1. First book, New Testament, should be easy to find. So like this, when he, he is Jesus, came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. You can heal me. Verse 3, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cured of his leprosy. Verse 5, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said, I will go and heal him. Open to Matthew chapter 17. Couple pages to the right. Starting in verse 14. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. O believing and perverse generation, Jesus replied, How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed from that moment. Now open to Mark chapter 1. Many times when we think of healing, we simply think of these kind of things. Oh, I'm physically made better, but healing is much deeper than that. And when Jesus comes and he brings healing, he means it to be deeper than this. Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, what John preached was a baptism called repentance, where we stop walking our own way and we walk the way that God calls us to. It says, as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. So Jesus now goes and he preaches. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the gospel. So this healing then we see is related to the preaching of the good news. Verse 21. They went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. 
And what I think is really interesting throughout the scriptures is everybody is like, oh, who's this Jesus? What's he doing? The only people in the scriptures not confused about how Jesus is, who Jesus is, is the demons. Like, I know who you are. Don't blast me. That's, be quiet, Jesus said sternly, come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all amazed that they asked each other, this is the question they ask, what is this, a new teaching? And with authority, he even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him is spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Verse 29, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. Verse 32, that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. Go to verse 38, Jesus replied let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so i can preach there also and this is interesting line that is why i have come there's a relationship between the preaching and the good news and repentance and the gospel and healing so he traveled throughout galilee preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons verse 40 a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. If you're a willing, you can make me clean. You can heal me. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing. He said, be clean. Immediately, leprosy left him and he was cured. In Luke chapter 8, verse 43, there's a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. She comes up and she touches the edge of Jesus' robe and she is healed. She believes he is the Messiah. This is an act of somebody who believes that he is Messiah. In John chapter 12, verse 40, it says, He has blinded their eyes and deadened their hearts so they can neither understand with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. It is when her eyes are open and our ears are open that we understand who can heal us tis say. the answer in the gospels is jesus he is presented as the great healer jesus in the gospels is the answer to the cry of lamentations but there's a relationship between the healing we need and our willingness to step boldly into the presence of god as recipients of that healing and I would even say as worthy recipients of that healing because through Jesus, we are worthy recipients. Now, if I just said as worthy recipients of that healing, by now at element, little flags should go off in the back of your head and you should be like, that doesn't sound right. Well, it doesn't. Romans 3.10 says, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. So who is worthy that God should give him anything? No one. No one. We are all lost except there is something amazing that the scriptures tell us. Open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. And as you do that, I'm going to read you Luke chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. It says, When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. So what is the Father's disposition towards the Son? Pleasure. With you, I am well pleased. Jesus is the worthy recipient of God's favor. Now, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will be revealed with him. Paul's logic is that when the Father looks upon us with all of our stain and all of our sin, he sees Jesus. And he says, you are my son. You are my daughter. With you, I am well pleased. Now, doesn't that want to make you change how you live? 
So many people are like, oh, you need to do this and do this and do this. That makes me want to change how I live. That God looks upon me and all of my stain and sees me as righteous because of his son. That is grace. And that is supposed to make us change how we live. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16 says, Since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let me rephrase this for you. So that he may heal you. God doesn't heal us because our faith is so big. He heals us because he loves us as his children. There is a relationship between the healing we need and our willingness to step boldly into the presence of God as recipients of that healing. Does that make sense? Yeah, I just gave you a whole lot of scripture. That should make sense. You're like, I didn't get it. Download the podcast, listen to it a couple more times. You'll get it right down the verses. About 10 years ago, uh, Ben Patterson was dean at Hope College. And apparently, uh, he is now uh, in charge of Westmont. Uh, And he's preaching about spiritual warfare. And this is what he said to the college crowd. He said, when the evil one comes to you at night and accuses you of this, that, and the other thing, don't argue with him. He's got good evidence. He said, just say to him, it's irrelevant. I've been washed with the blood of the Lamb. When the Father looks at you, he sees the Son, who he loves, whom he is well pleased. So I'll give you my three points. Number one is this. There is a relationship between the healing we need and our willingness to step boldly in the presence of God as a recipient of that healing. The second thing is this, that there is a relationship between the healing we long for and the community that we belong to. The healing we long for and the community we belong to. In Luke chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, Jesus brings his disciples together as a group and he gives them power and authority as a group to go out and cure diseases and preach the kingdom of God and heal the sick. Again, the first verse we read, James 5, 16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. There is a relationship between the healing we long for, whether it be emotional or physical or spiritual, and the community that we as a people belong to. Mark 1, 32, after sunset, the people bring all the sick to Jesus. In Matthew 9, 2, these guys get together, they take their buddy to bring this paralyzed guy to bring to Jesus on a mat so he can be healed. In the New Testament, you see people bringing their friends to Jesus over and over and over. Much of the healing that we long for will find its fulfillment in community. In the Torah, Moses leads the people through the, through the desert, and they constantly get attacked by this group called the Amalekites. And one of these batters, the, the Amalekites are attacking them again, and Moses holds his arms up in prayer. While Moses' arms are up in prayer, the Israelites win. When he gets tired and puts them down, they're losing. So his buddies, Aaron and Hur, come alongside him, hold his arms up. So they win. Community, woo, for the win. <laughs> Goalpost, that's how it goes. I mean, the reason that I give you so much scripture this morning is, is I don't want you to misunderstand me. Community is not God. God is God. But he is a God of community, and he intends for his people to function in a community. Are you in a small group? Are you in a gospel community? You just sign up in the back if you're not to be part of a community. This could be some of your friends around you. Grab them. Get together with each other because God heals us in the midst of a community. The goal of our teaching that element is to help shape you in the type of people that we as a community should become. Last week, what I talked about was all the different voices in Lamentations. There's a narrator. He's very stoic, very standoffish. He's just saying what happened. This is what's going on. Then there's daughter Jerusalem who laments over her loss. 
In verse 13 that I've been spending so much time with you guys with this morning, the inflection in the Hebrew and the Septuagint, the narrator actually loses his composure, his standoffishness, and he starts to speak directly to daughter Zion. He stops his unemotional recitation of what has happened, and he looks at her in verse 13, and he says, What can I say for you? How can I comfort you? Who can heal you? I mean, do you see the change in him? This is, this, he wants healing. The type of community that we should become is a type of church that leads everyone to the feet of Jesus so they can be healed, renewed, and brought from death into life. Now, I heard uh, Tim Brown tell this story, and he starts this story by singing a song that his grandkids like. I never heard it before, and so I've only heard him sing it, so I'm going to sing it for you. It goes like this. It goes, marching, marching animals, marching two by two, marching, marching animals, marching into Noah's floating zoo. Okay? All right. Now you're going to sing it with me. So, so I'm not the only one looking stupid. Ready? Marching, marching animals. Marching, marching animals. Marching, marching animals. Marching, Yeah, Okay. Tim Brown, he is president of Western Theological Seminary. Uh, he has a friend he works with at the college named Don Concrete. Now, Don teaches biology, but Don has an illness that affects his life considerably. He has Parkinson's disease. And sometimes it gets so bad that he has to be driven around campus in an electric golf cart because even when he does walk, he walks with fits and starts. Now, as Don has gotten older and as his anxiety level rises, there kind of becomes an inequality between his life and the medication. And there's a side effect between life and medication and Parkinson's and, and stress. When things get really bad, his whole body just freezes. It just, just stops, unable to move, totally. Now, Don's wife, she has found an antidote to this. She goes to the piano, she pulls out a metronome, and she picks it up. And it goes click, 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 click. And as it starts to do that, Don starts to thaw. He quickens, and he begins to move again. Now, a few years ago, it is New Year's Eve, and USC is playing Michigan State, and USC is just killing Michigan State. Now, Don loves Michigan State. And so, he, because he's like, that's it. I'm going to go to school and read and grade some papers. It's sub-zero, huge storm. The car's right out the back door. He's so flustered, he jumps into the car without a coat. He drives to the college. He gets out of his car, starts to walk up the steps to his office outside, and it happens. He freezes outside. Now, another biologist uh, lives across the street. His name is John Peterson. And John Peterson looks out his window, and he sees Don standing there like the tin man from the Wizard of Oz. He's like, that's, that's odd. There's something going on there. So he bundles up like you should do in a snowstorm, and he goes to check it out. And he walks up to Don, and he says, Don, are you okay? And Don says, no, I can't move. And he goes, well, what should I do? And he says, well, my wife gets a metronome, holds it to my ear, and that helps me sometimes. Now, John doesn't know what a metronome is. I'll show you what a metronome is. All right? if, you have a, if you have an iPhone, you may save somebody's life one day. Okay? That's a metronome. No idea what it is. So he's like, uh, you know, how about if I sing you a song? You know, and, and so Don's like, can't hurt. <laughs> you know, because he's just kind of stuck there. So, so imagine this. You've got John Peterson, Ph.D., stands next to Don Concrete, Ph.D., howling snowstorm. And he begins to sing a song. John teaches third grade Sunday school. The only song he can think of is marching, marching animals, marching two by two, marching, marching animals, marching into Noah's floating zoo. Right? Anyone what happens? Nothing. <laughs> Don's like, he's like, let me try again. Marching, marching animals. And then all of a sudden, Don 
starts to soften and quicken and begin to move. Tis iasete say, who can heal us? Only Jesus, of course. But he heals us in the midst of community. The cry of our world is, who can heal us? We run around all alone, not realizing that God creates us for community. Maya Angelou, she writes this, alone, all alone, nobody but nobody can make it out here alone. We need each other more than we can ever imagine. There's a relationship between the healing we need and our willingness to step boldly in the presence of God as recipients of that healing. There's a relationship between the healing that we long for and the community that we belong to. And number three, there's a relationship between the healing that we long for and our honesty before God. We call this repentance. Repentance. Mark 1, again, full of the healings of Jesus. And prior to the healing always comes the message. Mark 1, 14, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Mark 1, 38, Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. There's a relationship between our repentance for God and God's touch upon us. Yes, God does seek us. Yes, God does love us. Yes, God does hold us in his arms like his children. But there's a relationship between our repentance and that. Now, back in the 15th century, Martin Luther nails 95 grievances to a door of a Wittenberg church. Most people see this as the beginning of the Reformation and the start of the Protestant church. Do you know what number one on that 95 grievances was? Number one was this. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, Repent, Matthew 4, 17, He willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Number one. We are called to repent and be healed, to not hide. Thomas Merton, who was a monk, a little crazy at times, he said some interesting things, but one of the things he did is he redefined sin like this. He said, Sin is giving God a mask when God is looking for a face. Meaning we try to hide who we really are from God when He is the only one we cannot hide from. From. We must repent and be healed. Many times people are not held back from the life Christ calls us to because of demon possession or Satan. We are held back because of our own heart and sin in our own heart. A sin that is assaulted us until like cancer, it eats away our soul. In Galatians 5, Paul sums them up like this. He says, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. You might go, well, I don't do any of those. Let me break these down into our vernacular. I'll give you four categories he just had. The first one was sexual sins. Orgies, sexual morality. The Greek word is porneia. It's like the sexual junk drawer. It's like everything goes in there. This is what lust, websites, pornography, any sex outside of marriage all fits in that. The second thing Paul talks about is false spirituality, witchcraft, idolatry. This includes... Uh, Everything that we worship that is not God. A.W. Tozer says this, Idolatry is worshiping anything other than God or worshiping God is less than he has revealed himself to be. This could be anything you devote your money and your energy and your time to. It could be a sports team. It could be uh, a band that you like. It could be a boat or a golf game. Or it could be education. It could be your job. It could be anything. Because the human heart is an idol factory and it wants to worship something. Witchcraft. Well, I don't practice witchcraft. We all practice witchcraft and voodoo. It's manipulating God to try and get what we want. It's like, oh, I really want this, so God, I'll pray a lot. Oh, God, I'll fast. Oh, God, I'll read the Bible and those really boring parts. I'll do it all. Just give me this thing over here. It's saying that God doesn't do things because he loves us. It means that God does things because he must be appeased first, and then he does something. That's witchcraft. 
The third set of sins that Paul talks about are social sins, sins that separate us from him and each other. Flesh divides people. Marriages die. Friendships die. This is why Paul says hatred. Oh, I don't like that. They got this, and I didn't get that. Discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition where your life is all about you, dissensions, factions, and envy, communities that are governed by the flesh, marriages that are governed by the flesh, friendships that are governed by the flesh. Think they are uplifting, but they are destroying each other. And the fourth one he talks about is addictions, debauchery. This is a desire that enslaves us and masters us. It's not that we eat, it's that we become gluttons. It's not that we drink, it's that we become drunkards. It's not that we have conversations, it's that it turns to gossip. It's not that we have money, it's that it becomes debt and we never get enough. Who can heal us? Paul says, we know these things are wrong and we are guilty as charged. And sometimes we wake up one day and see where we've been or or where we're going and the effect sickens us because we realize it is slavery. Who can heal us? 1 John 1, 9, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. What does Lamentations teach us? It teaches us who can heal us which always leads us to the feet of Jesus. Always. There is a relationship between the healing we need and our willingness to step boldly into the presence of God as recipients of that healing. There's a relationship between the healing that we long for and the community that we belong to. There's a relationship between the healing that we long for and our honesty before our God. What does this look like? It can look like very much like a Sunday morning. We all get together Great rock band gets up, plays some tunes. Messenger of God stands up, reads from the scriptures, proclaims the truth of the gospel, sometimes better than others. You know. People are invited to go to the forward or back, partaking communion. His body broken for us, his blood shed for us. There is a need. People are invited to come forward or back and have prayers offered for them. Again, James five sixteen: confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. People are then invited to give as Christ gave his life for us. You're invited to connect with other believers in fellowship as our God intends for us. Not just here, but every single day. The community he intends centered around him. This is one of the reasons why people sometimes go, why do you end the sermons the same way every week? You talk about those five things. This is why. This is why. This is healing. This is what God calls us to. Tis iasete say. Who can heal us? Jesus. Period but he will probably use those around you in the process. Don't neglect how God works. Don't neglect how God heals. Again, we do worship God through community. There's a, there's a sign-up sheet in the back if you want to be in a small group. We'll get you guys in one. There's some food and stuff back there where you guys can talk to each other and start to make some friendships so that you can start to heal each other in the midst of community. We'll worship God through song. The band's going to come up. And then we'll do a couple songs. And as we do, I invite you to ask yourselves the question, where do I need to be healed? Is there somebody that you know in your life around you that needs healing, that you can be a part of in the midst of community? How can you help lead people to the feet of Jesus so that they can be healed? I would invite you that before we take communion, we'll remember his body broken for us and his blood shed for us, that you would ask, just for a moment, say, Tis, Iasete, say, who can heal me? And you would allow Jesus to speak words of truth over you. We worship God through prayer. There will be some uh, deacons and elders in the back. And if you do need prayer, go to them. They would love to pray for you. We'll worship God through giving. There's offering boxes on the side wall in the back. And we give because God gave so much to us. Giving is part of our worship. All of it centers around Christ and what he has done. Who can heal us? 
physically, emotionally, spiritually. It's all Jesus. It's all at His feet. And we as a community should be those that point to Him by how we live and how He has healed us and how He has changed and redeemed and made us new. He is a great God. And He longs to make us into a great people centered around His name. say, Jesus, through you and I, living the life He calls us to. Let's pray. Father, this morning we as a people stand in your presence and sometimes we forget what that even means or looks like. And yet it means you heal us, you restore us, and you make us new. And then you call us to live a life of healing and redemption for those around us. I ask that you put a conviction deep in our hearts where we become truly honest before you about ourselves. That we stop trying to hide ourselves from you. And then we boldly step into the place of healing that you have for us. And then we step into the midst of community that you have called us to. So we live lives of purpose and grace. And no longer lives that are centered upon ourselves. Because we will never, ever heal ourselves. But you have come to renew us and make us new. We thank you for being a God who cares about us in that regard. That you are so good that you take people who are not worthy of anything and yet you make us worthy by your own goodness. Have a step into people that live in the healing you provided and then with your strength walk out to be, be a people who brings healing to the entire world around us. Amen.